0: This is The Solid Podcast. I'm John Bruner. And I'm David Craner. It's never been easier to go from idea to digital design to physical product. The new hardware movement is radically changing the way that technology in the world around us is being conceived, built, and connected. This podcast brings you the new generation of hardware creators who work across the
1: boundary between digital and physical. They're designers, engineers, scientists, artists, and business people.
0: For more information on the new hardware movement and the resources you need to become a full-stack hardware creator, visit O'Reilly.com hardware. And if you'd like to send in a question for us to discuss on the show, email us at hardware at O'Reilly.com. All right, this week we've got Robert Bedore in from Proto Labs. Proto Labs is one of these companies that's made it a lot easier to make prototypes.
1: That's right, John. They're one of my favorite companies for prototyping because they have a wide range of CNC machining, injection molding, and even additive manufacturing capabilities. And what's really interesting about them is that they're able to do just things that no one else is able to do, like turn out a prototype of an injection mold in as little as 24 hours because they've taken a really interesting software-based approach to solving the problems traditionally associated with making
0: these types of tools. ProtoLabs was a big supporter of the pop-up factory that we had at the Solid Conference back in June. They made the um, injection-molded enclosures for the alike bands that we handed out to attendees.
1: Yeah, considering that that entire project was literally prototyped to production in about two months, uh, we were really glad to have their support. So let's listen to hear what Rob has to say about how they do what they do.
0: So David and I are sitting here today with Rob Bador from ProtoLabs, and this is something we've been talking about a lot lately because Proto Labs is changing the way that people make physical things. It's been pretty difficult to to do injection molding. It's something you have to put a lot of thought into. And uh, and this is changing.
1: Yeah, it's definitely an important part of the prototyping process is when you first make your your first idea of what your 3D form is gonna be like. Um, but then it often costs tens of thousands of dollars to get tools made or to get prototypes made using a CNC process or you know tools for an injection molding thing done. And Protolabs has spent a lot of time doing a lot of really interesting work, making software tools which can help you get these prototype things from these complicated manufacturing processes out the door in very little time and for less money than it would traditionally take. Is that, is that an accurate representation of your, of your pitch?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty good description of what we've done. So um, Protolabs contract manufacturer, we actually offer manufacturing in nine different processes. Uh, you talked about injection molding, which is uh, where the company started, and it's our biggest one still today. But we also offer molding of uh, liquid silicone rubbers, metals. We offer uh, metal injection molding of steel and stainless steel. We'll mold uh, magnesium through a thick cell molding process. Uh, and then we do machining of hmm. uh, plastics and uh, metals as well. And we do 3D printing or additive manufacturing also in plastics or metals. And so that's actually pretty uh, interesting because it allows us to be consultative with customers mm-hmm. because now we can offer them kind of uh, parts in many, many material families across three different kinds of manufacturing process oftentimes. And so we can scale with them as they, their scale is necessary. Um, and also as, you know, every manufacturing process has different design constraints. And so we can give them guidance around which process may fit their needs for the design
0: that they have. So now you're not in the position of saying here's the best way to make a an injection molded plastic part you can say here's the best way to to create the physical form that that you're going for at all. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So we can app, we can well we can do both, right? We can play at both levels depending
2: upon what their need is.
0: And and to be clear, the 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 innovation that you're using here is is the the way that you use software to define jobs and specify jobs and then it's it's a fairly traditional Manufacturing process behind that, right?
2: That's right. So the manufacturing, yeah, we didn't invent any of the manufacturing processes that that um, that we use. Um, but we, I, I like to say that we kind of reinvented them. Mm-hmm. Basically, what we've done is we've infused software into the manufacturing process. So we take and and we we also have additive, which is newer. But if we, I think you're talking about the traditional processes, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Um, in the traditional processes, basically, you can think about it like we kind of took the process apart. And then inserted software, particularly Mm -hmm. in the front end of a lot of these processes, um, to allow automation of that front end. And what I mean by the front end is, so if we take injection molding as an example, right, there are many, many steps in an injection molding process. Uh, You start with the the part design, which is the 3D CAD file, and then uh, you need to design a mold right? And the tooling and the fixturing and all the components that go which, into which that. Is,
1: which is, you know, not not simple. It's like almost another engineering project oh, in and of itself abso- you absolutely. you have to figure out where the plastic is going to flow. You have to figure out where to put all the ejector pins. You have to figure out if there's going to be inserts. It's like a whole Right. There's an deal. art and a
2: science to it. Yeah. There are professionals who do that for a living, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, so you have to do that. Then you have to make the mold. Then you have to um, shoot the parts, right? And then then there's a bunch of steps that follow that, right? You finish, the, you trim the parts, you finish them, you paint them, you inspect them, you package them, you ship them, let's say, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of the end-to-end concept. Uh, one way that you can think about protolabs is that we've automated the front end of that. So going from the 3D CAD file to the finished parts, right? Now there's been a lot of work, decades of work in uh, traditional manufacturing to automate the back end. Once the parts come off the press in the injection molding example, uh, how do we then inspect them and finish them and you know, pick and place machines and vision Mm -hmm. systems and what have you that automate that aspect of it. Right. Um, but we've automated the front end and what's unique about that. So if you think about the, the, the things that traditional manufacturing is automated, it's been those things that drive economies at high volumes, Mm -hmm. right? Um, those are also the things where, uh, they've automated the, the repetitive things where every part is the same. So out of the mold, every part that comes out is identical and they've They've automated the steps that act on those identical things in identical ways. Mm-hmm. We've automated the front end, where every design is different, and so it's that great variability that that you know we've focused our time trying to automate, so that with every unique part design that we get, every CAD file, we can then translate that into the uh, design for manufacturability to give mm-hmm. customers feedback on their part and how it can be designed. Um, but then also um, we, we basically virtually manufacture that. So, mm-hmm. so we actually um, apply 3D geometry based algorithms uh, to uh, evaluate the part, do the work that that you know, trained engineer, manufacturing engineer would do to determine how they would manufacture it. And then actually go to the point where we generate the tool paths or whatever other manufacturing equivalent is necessary to, in the injection molding example, make the mold and be able to, uh, shoot the parts. And so by doing that, by automating the front end, we're able to collapse the, uh, both the cost, right? Our molds start at $1,500 mm-hmm. versus tens of thousands, as you pointed out. Um, and, uh, and the time, you know, we're able to offer injection molded parts in as little as one day.
1: Wow. Which is insane. Yeah. 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 So what's the catch? <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: um, you know, look, the, the I mean, in the real world, there are trade-offs, right? So so the catch is we can't do every part.
1: Like the, the design space is like a little bit more constrained, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very large parts we can't do. We can't do micro parts. Um, there are, you know, very high tolerances that we don't hold. But the fact is that, um, you know, for the majority of, of, of parts, I mean, we've tried to hit kind of the big part of the target. Mm-hmm. And for the majority of the parts, um, that seems to be working. I mean, the company's been growing, you know, very well it's been growing at over 25 percent hmm. um, year over year um, we did about that last year mm-hmm. um, uh, pretty consistently and and um, we've and we've had really high you know customer satisfaction so um you know we're continuing to always push the envelope and expand our envelope and uh, you know bring more and more but um
0: but you've managed to identify a, a large volume and a specialty component and and offered something for the for the large volume uh, component that's right as someone who doesn't have a background in, in manufacturing or these kinds of processes, it it might seem like uh, DFM is a fairly easy thing to sort of automate, to define uh, the problem, and to approach it algorithmically. What 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 is the core challenge here that you've that you've taken on? First of all, I think that the the you know the, the geometric analysis
2: that's necessary is is definitely non trivial, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I think what adds to it is the fact that we're manufacturing these things in the real world. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I have a degree in computer science. I also have a background in mechanical engineering. And, um, I actually made the switch from mechanical engineering to computer science in kind of my education. And one of the reasons why, frankly, um, I don't know if I've ever admitted this to anybody, but, <laughs> um, but it's that, um, uh, I, I liked computer science for its predictability. In other words, I mm-hmm. could, um, create the world, right. Mm-hmm. And in, in, whatever simulation environment and set up the rules, and that was much more manageable than uh running real world experiments where a lot of things were outside mm-hmm. of my control mm-hmm. and recognizing that no simula- simulation is ever perfect. Mm-hmm. So um thank you for bearing with me on that anecdote but mm-hmm. the the point being that um that that doing it computationally and then translating that into uh, you know, the real world where we're injecting material and, and it's acting in the way that it needs to, um, I think is is a non-trivial challenge. And so the way we solve that is we actually have uh, teams that are cross-functional, mm-hmm. manufacturing engineers who have deep expertise in the manufacturing process, work with our computer scientists, um, and, and they actually, you know, sit together, work together right next to the machine. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I talk about how we kind of disassemble the manufacturing process and insert software automation where it needs to be and and put that all back together again that's what i'm talking about and this has taken years yeah right it's taken years in fact uh the company developed uh over 15 years we started uh in injection molding we used to be called the proto mold company Mm -hmm. and we at that time we just had small you know we had a small envelope we only did simple molds we didn't do um complex geometries Mm -hmm. right and then we built upon that base of capability uh, to get to you know very sophisticated complex tools, uh, much larger, smaller, different you know broader materials that are mm-hmm. more difficult to work with, and then we then expanded, uh, took kind of that core capability and expanded it to other manufacturing processes. And as I said, we now have
0: nine. So so you're taking a a process um, that that used to be performed by um, by a human engineer and and characterizing it in uh, computer terms and automating it. Are there do you encounter a lot of cases where um, something that a human does is pretty intuitive and easy to see but that's difficult to characterize formally in in a in a computer language you know like we're well we'll make this mold by rotating this way and then this way and then inject from below but that turns out to be a very difficult thing to characterize algorithmically uh, yeah that's a good question so um
2: have you have you ever quoted with us like
1: when we when we worked with you guys on the pop-up factory at solid 2015 it was it was really great because before, you know, you traditionally you design your part and you send an email off to someone somewhere with the CAD file attached and then like they write you back a week later and they're like, okay, like maybe we're going to look at it. We can do this, whatever. Right. I mean, you go to the Labs website and there's a little upload file button and you put the file. And then a little, you know, it goes off. And then it, this is just my experience from a, as a user. Great. And then it comes back and they, and they send you a quote in your email. And it's got a little 3D model of your part. And it's color coded for how the plastic is going to flow. You look at it. You fill out some drop-down menus of what kind of materials you're into. Um, an engineer calls you up. And you talk to them about what you're trying to do and they like kind of help you, and you kind of both use the tool at the same time to f- understand what it is you're trying to make. Yep. and then they make parts and send it to you. and it, it was crazy because like we you know we had a prototype of our PCB for the alike bands for solid about two months before actual solid. we actually got the go-ahead to make 1500, units, and then we were able to start designing an injection mold and like 10 years ago that would be complete insanity.: Yeah,
2: well, I think you described it very well. You know, well, one of the things that I, I I find, you know, exciting about it is that it does make that process, you know, mm-hmm. much easier. It makes it faster. So, I mean, our, our, you know, one of our key objectives is to be fast, right, to be the fastest manufacturer on the planet, uh, be low cost of entry and be very approachable, right, for uh, large companies as well as inventors, you know, working out of their home and, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the most rewarding parts is that, you know, we we do make it you know, more approachable for, for you to be able to do that. But we also try and facilitate you being fast about it. So you talked about how, you know, you could interact with some selection criteria right on that quote, that interactive Mm -hmm. quote. Well, that was one of the key things that we tried to do early on because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, traditional process is more like, um, you request a quote and you get back, you know, a a PDF or a fax.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, maybe I'm dating myself, um, right, well, plenty of
0: people still use faxes Fax, for these things. Yeah. I think, yeah,
2: <laughs> and and that kind of has one one instance, uh-huh. right? Uh, and it has a you know certain things assumed, and then you say, okay, well, this is great, but actually, I wanted in polycarbonate, not ABS. Or what would it cost then? Or what if I did it with four cavity instead of two cavity? Because I'm not sure what our final volume is going to be, etc. Right. And so then
1: wh- what would happen? You would. Yeah. And then you'd wait longer and then someone would have to go talk to someone else. You'd have to go talk to someone else. You'd be like, yeah, maybe we could probably do that. But like we should try it. We'll do a sample and then maybe we'll do a little bit extra machining out later. And then they call you back and then you have to think about whether you want to do it and go down that road. And it just kind of.
2: Right. So so days and yeah. weeks can go by. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The feedback
1: and... is very slow.
2: Right. And so so the first thing that we did was just solve that problem by. Putting literally every combination of whatever we can do for you in that quote that you get back a few minutes to a few hours after you sent us your CAD file, right? Mm-hmm. And and so then you can immediately see, okay, well, what's it? You know, well, first of all, I can see that they have a hundred engineering grade thermoplastics just straight up available in stock. If any of those are good enough or I'm happy with, I can just you know I can click through them. I can. I like see going the there because like changes. I see
1: things. I'm like, oh man, I haven't heard of that before, and then I'm gonna go look at it and. <laughs> and-
2: yeah, it's an education yeah. Yeah, tool, yeah. right? Um, and th- the, so the other thing that's unique about what we do is uh, we basically virtually manufacture the part before we quote it.
1: So like an entire simulation. Right. The...
2: I mean, we calculate everything we're going to do to manufacture it uh, before we quote it. That's how we can ensure that the quote is a guaranteed price because we've mm-hmm. already calculated mm-hmm. what our cost is going to be. But furthermore, kind of at the bottom of the quote, Um, because we've virtually manufactured it, we can actually render the finished part. And we do, we include a a 3D rendering of the finished part that's interactive Mm -hmm. in every quote, Hmm. okay? And then that's compared against the source CAD file that you sent us. Um, And we also apply um, the design for manufacturability guidelines to that, Mm -hmm. okay? So so it'll highlight for you, that's the Mm color-coded thing that you talked about, right? It'll highlight for you Any issues that you have with manufacturability or warnings, you know, hey, this is going to be a thin area. Mm -hmm. Uh, You might want to be thoughtful about that. Um, Or, you know, you need to add draft to certain vertical surfaces or whatever it might be. We can highlight that for you. Or uh, there's a large class of, of issues that we can actually help you resolve. And then we'll give you a proposed revision to your model. And you can kind of see that in the rendering and you can kind of switch between them and and understand what we're trying to suggest. And if you're happy with that, you can order it then immediately. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But John, to go back to your earlier question, um, now that we have a little bit of the context of the quote, and that's why I wanted to clarify, when we have uh, these issues that that I highlighted, like you need to add draft here or whatnot, basically our process automates all of this um, except this, this very last bit. So when um, you're looking at that 3D rendered part, uh, to the left of it, in our user interface, there are these, um, we highlight the issues that there might be or, or guidance or warnings. And if you click on one, then it will animate the rendering to zoom in on the area of concern. Mm-hmm. So despite the, the best um, some of the best 3D minds um, on the planet, that we have at our company, we have yet to find a good way to to write software to uh highlight to an engineer <laughs> that feature. Huh. And so um we actually do have um you know trained engineers who actually select the best viewpoint huh. on on each geometry to highlight each issue. Um and then that's what we then encode that gets zoomed in on in our user interface.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm. It's like human in the loop too. Right. A human,
2: because we're trying to communicate to a human, this issue in the clearest way possible. And, you know, I liken it to kind of the traditional model. I don't know how many of you have ever been inside like machine shops, contract manufacturers, Mm -hmm. injection molders. So, um, you know, when you go consult with, with them. You know, there's a table usually in a smoky room with coffee uh-huh. uh, and you have, you know, your your drawings are laid out and, and, you know, you're talking to each other and you're collaborating and they're, you know, pointing at the, the manufacturer may be pointing out to you, hey, you know, the way you've designed this is going to have this problem or that problem. Mm-hmm. Well, we're trying to do that same thing, but we're trying to do it, you know, with modern technology over the Internet. Right. Uh, you know, a thousand times
0: a day. Or right, or, right, right, right. You've, you've isolated the one moment where a uh, human contact is needed on this <laughs> exactly and right. then and then automated the rest you, you don't need a human receiving uh, an email with a cad file attached to it and putting it on a usb key and taking it to a different computer and, <laughs> and uploading it yeah that's right so tell us tell us about the the manufacturing operation is it all in minneapolis no um well first of all we're global okay. uh,
2: we we have facilities in the u.s in europe and in japan mm-hmm. uh, but within the americas um we have um seven facilities um five of those are in the minneapolis area Mm -hmm. and then there are two in raleigh north carolina okay
0: so what i mean are they are they highly automated in the sense that you mentioned earlier the high volume kind of identical automation mechanical automation as well as this kind of uh human automation so if you tour one of our facilities
2: um you won't see a lot of robots Mm -hmm. you might not see any robots um so because, again, we haven't automated kind of the back end, as, mm-hmm. as I illustrated before. Um, but uh, you will see large parallel computing clusters, right, mm-hmm. that do all the analysis that, that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you'll see rows and rows and rows of CNC mills and lathes and, um, you know, other kinds of equipment uh, that either make the molds or, or make machined parts. Or if you're in our facilities in Raleigh, then you'll see rows and rows of, <laughs> you know, additive manufacturing machines of various kinds, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and there are people walking around. Um, uh, but of course, their their job primarily is to load and unload the machines, mm-hmm. and so that that's part of what uh, you know gives us some some of our scalability is that um, we still have to have, of course, a lot of experienced people on the manufacturing floor. But our mix is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't need the same level of skilled employees that you would need for a similarly scaled business
0: yeah yeah curious about your um your additive manufacturing services because there the justification is a little different it's it's obvious why you would go to a contract manufacturer to do um injection molding you need a lot of expertise to make the molds uh complexity is very expensive and difficult to deal with in these in these parts right with additive manufacturing um complexity is much easier to deal with the translation between cad file and finished part is much faster uh, to go through. Um, in theory, if you're a reasonably large institution, then these machines aren't very expensive for you to buy. So how do your clients differ between those those two services, the injection molding and, and machining vers- that that require a lot of expertise to do versus the additive manufacturing that seems more abstracted for, for these purposes?
2: Uh, well, from a customer standpoint, we actually see a great deal of overlap mm-hmm. uh, across all our services with our customers. So we offer stereolithography, selective laser sintering, and direct metal laser sintering today. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we found, and I think what most of our customers have found, is that those uh, are not as simple as they might first appear. In order to actually operate effectively
0: and well, mm-hmm. and,
2: and get good quality parts out of.
0: And and so, are you offering the kind of like DFM? transformation layer for, for those that you do for for uh, injection molding as well?
2: Yeah, we do. Uh, it's different, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because, of course, the processes themselves are different. But, for example, um, DMLS, okay, that's a powder-based um, metal sintering mm-hmm. uh, process. Um, that has um, a bunch of constraints because um, you, you have to build in uh, support structures within that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have, there's other You know, you have to do that similarly with stereolithography, but in that one, you have to build in support structures actually to manage the, um, deformation that that's caused by Hmm. the heat. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Cooling. Right. Right. And so, um, those structures actually add constraints to your part design, Mm -hmm. right? Which, um, are, I would say not generally well known. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so we have to advise our customers on their designs with that consideration in mind. And then if you... You asked about the quote and kind of the DFM. So part of that is the choice of the build orientation, mm-hmm, right? How mm-hmm. do you how do you orient the part within the build chamber so that you can minimize the need for those excess? So, so you guys structures. have your
1: own job setup software for we those machines, yeah? Oh, awesome, yeah. That does like the orientation and the supports yep. and the bed packing and like yep. everything, hmm.
2: yeah. Um, and so um, you know, not, it's not all 100% custom where mm-hmm. we can use you know, commercial software, we do, but there are a lot of places where we've had to layer in our own. And we even have a, we have a renderer in that right as well,
1: Mm
2: uh, that allows you to see the, the, the build orientation that we've selected. And then, um, you, you can, you know, gives you a chance to override that or change it if, uh, that's important for Mm -hmm. you for Mm -hmm. whatever reason, because, um, sometimes for certain quality of certain features, you're going to want the orientation to be a certain way, but that may have cost implications uh, because yeah. of the excess other material or the height and and various other things. That's actually
1: mm-hmm. a question I'm interested in is, you know, we're kind of always watching this. Everyone likes to talk about additive manufacturing and 3D printing as being manufacturing play of the future, but now it's it's still a little bit more of a pain and more expensive than injection molding for certain volumes. Like, where would you say we are right now as far as, like, volume-wise, where it makes sense to go from additive manufacturing to injection because obviously you're not going to injection mold five parts
2: yeah so that is a great question um, and the answer varies unfortunately by you know the the part design um the the part size and the materials that you're that you're looking so at let, doing.
1: let's say like uh enclosure for a mobile phone sized connected device okay well so for something like that
2: um you could probably make you know Quantity. Uh, I'll give you quantity one right mm-hmm. quantity one um three d printed might be fifty to a hundred dollars mm-hmm. a machined mm-hmm. one might be a little bit less than that right quantity mm-hmm. one at yeah. least from from us um and then uh you know molded that might be at very low volumes a dollar two dollars three dollars depending on the material oh, on, on the, the margin
0: after tooling right right,
2: right. yeah right <clears throat> now as you go to higher quantities you know that can get much much cheaper um <laughs> um but i think that um you know where you think about additive manufacturing tends to be uh more in the lower volumes simply because today for a part that you can make in a higher volume process like say an injection molding process um you will, the economic argument tends to to be the leading one yeah. right mm-hmm. um and it, you know you're you're often talking about two orders of magnitude less expensive at scale to to make that through a molding process, than to do it in a in a three D printing process, mm-hmm. right? Um, now that's not true in all cases, and where where it's highly custom, uh, you know, hearing aids, you know, and other mm-hmm. kinds of uh, medical devices. Yeah, and, yeah those, those kinds like of that. examples where there's you know where where you do where you're doing customization at scale, mm-hmm.
0: additive is a great solution. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think uh, Invisalign is 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 really one of the right. very largest. Uh, yeah, production 3D printing users, right? And and I also understand that uh, Boeing and Airbus use some amount of uh, production 3D printing in things like duct work that that go through a lot of um, that are that are not structurally critical mm-hmm. and that go through a lot of like constant revision mm-hmm. in the early years of an airplane model. So you know they're always tweaking the shape of some some mm-hmm. duct, and it's easier to just 3D print them while they try to get it right. And I think in those applications.
2: Um where the geometry is complicated Mm -hmm. and the traditional manufacturing would have required uh, multiple pieces that then would have had to be assembled and would need additional brackets and Mm -hmm. and, and joining geometries in order to do that assembly. Uh, There's also a lightweighting argument that Mm -hmm. for aerospace would be particularly important. Mm -hmm. So I think there's plenty of good applications for for additive manufacturing, but... um, but likewise, there are plenty of good applications for traditional manufacturing processes. And so yeah, I, th- yeah. I think you have to look at it in a balanced way.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to see how uh, 3D printing is played out in the popular imagination. You've, you've just mentioned a couple of strong cases for 3D printing that are that are really kind of specialty industrial cases, um, medical devices, aerospace, stuff like that. Um, yet it's, it still kind of has this, uh, this notion that it'll be like a household uh, device which seems like the worst application for it i mean a very price sensitive uh, application for it and likewise you look at the um the general awareness of 3d printing versus um cnc tools which have also gone through an enormous set of price reductions in the last few years have become much more accessible um, you know each each advancement in 3d printing i think has a corresponding advancement in cnc machines mm-hmm. um, like you can buy a shapeoko from inventables which is a prosumer uh, cnc machine that's similar in price point uh, to the form labs uh, 3d printer You um, know, something that if you have a design firm or an architecture firm or something you could have uh, one of these it's not quite very cheap for like a hobbyist um, but it's extraordinarily capable and the quality of, of the output of, of these, you know, CNC machines in some absolute sense is much greater than the quality of output of similarly priced 3D printers, yet everyone gets kind of excited about the 3D printers. I think it's a very science fiction-y Sounds notion. more futuristic. Yeah, it, it but, definitely is. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does sound that way. I, I think that the um the killer app,
2: so to speak, for the home is, is still to be found. Mm-hmm. I and mean, I, I'd say that's true for 3D printing and yeah. for, you know, CNC machining in the mm-hmm. home, Um I'm as big a geek as anybody and I don't frankly know what I would use it for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: I imagine it's kind of going to be somewhere like the, like the sewing machine, basically, where it is a, it is a tool, but like, you know, that is used by a skilled person to make stuff, but it's not like you make all of your clothes that you have on your sewing machine.
0: Right. It's a, an enthusiast uh tool used to make a specific subset of things that you're a reasonable expert in, you know, mm-hmm. in the same way that if you're if you're into sewing, you're still not buying all of your clothes. You learn right. a handful of patterns. You approach a subset of of things that you could sew. Um, there's also got to be an, an improvement in the uh, mechanical characteristics of yeah. the products of home 3D printers before they're useful. I mean, the the vision um, right is that you know the door pull on your closet breaks, and then you 3D print up another one but the output of a makerbot is not going <laughs> to be a yeah, sustainable dorpel yeah, yeah.
1: Hmm. so so what would you say is the coolest parts that you've seen users making like what have you seen come through either either on machining or injection molding or 3D printing like what's the most awesome parts that you've seen
2: we have a what's called a cool idea award um and this was started by our founder Larry Lucas who really wanted to give back to inventors um through that I've seen a, a number of of really cool um products um you know one for example is a a phone charger that's also a purse. it's like built into the purse mm-hmm. and so if you mm-hmm. just put your phone into your purse then you know it maintains uh, charge um and uh just some 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 really interesting things that way
1: yeah have you seen people doing stuff with the like you know the d m l s stuff and the centering stuff? I guess even the stereo. like basically, that manufacturing stuff that that you couldn't do with injection molding. like what kinds of oh sure. I mean beyond just beyond just custom stuff, but like, you know, kinds of internal geometry. like I would, like the other day, I was looking at laminar flow, laminar flow, water jets for some reason, and was reading about how people are looking into three d printing those because you have to have this really tightly packed mm-hmm. matrix of internal features that you could never get out of the mold. And so, what, what, what are some kinds of things that people can actually engineer using additive manufacturing that they couldn't use doing traditional processes?
2: Um, well, things that have internal cooling or uh, internal fluid mm. um, flow
1: capabilities,
2: you know, that can be made all in one piece. Um, I can think of uh, one particular part that, uh, that we make in stereolithography that, um, you know, that has a, a number of internal channels. Um, that's a medical device, mm. right, for, for that kind of application. Uh, we also see it in metals you know, where, where the, 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 part needs the structural strength of being made out of titanium, but it also needs to have internal, uh, cooling for various reasons. And so to, mm-hmm. to make that in one piece is more cost-effective. Uh, and, and so for those kinds of applications,
0: we see it all the time. So in terms of cost-effectiveness, where do you think the line is now? David asked about the line between additive manufacturing and traditional manufacturing. Um, this represents something a little novel as well, which is, uh, you know, prototyping and, and production outside as a, as a service outside of um, your company, where do you think the line is between doing all of your prototyping, manufacturing, prototyping runs and production runs um, outsourced and, and having a department in-house that does this kind of thing?
2: Right. So I think manufacturers, OEMs, um, tend to do, in my observation, tend to do what's pragmatic. Uh, if there are particular manufacturing processes that they do that is unique to them, Right? Like they've developed the process and that's a, a core piece of IP, then of course they're going to keep that in-house. Mm-hmm. If it's something that uh, they can outsource more effectively, whether it's for cost reasons or for um, you know other other reasons, uh, expertise and what have you, mm-hmm. uh, then they will tend to do that. And so we certainly see a mix. Um, we have many, many customers that have in-house um, machine shops, 3 d printing shops, prototyping mm-hmm. shops or injection molding that still use us. Mm-hmm. They either mm-hmm. use us for overflow or they use us for, because we're faster than their internal shop hmm. or they'll use us because we're cheaper than their internal shop or they'll use us because they've learned what kind of parts we're really good at mm-hmm. and that we can make more effectively than they can make. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, we have, we have limits. We don't make very large, you know, parts that are particularly very large and, mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. And so, you know, those they might keep yeah. in-house. Yeah. Um, you know, we're an on-demand manufacturer, which means that uh, you don't have to have any minimum order quantities, mm-hmm. right? And so in places where there's uncertainty or volatility of demand, uh, we can be a really good
0: solution. I love this because we we uh, talk a lot at Solid about abstraction and modularity. And this whole thing is like a big pyramid of abstraction and modularity. I mean, you're right. basically providing an API to manufacturing uh, that people can can plug into very easily. Uh, and then, you know, beneath that, there are kind of uh, the services that you would expect to arise, like, like injection molding on demand, which I hadn't thought about at all. Um, it's something that people talk about with 3D printing. You know, well, you just have have a lot of spools of filament shipped to you, and you keep those in your warehouse, and it's a lot less space than keeping inventory in your warehouse. Um, but that's a really cool thought. Yeah, but
1: or you just have Labs who's abstracted it somewhere else, so you don't have to deal with
0: any of it, because
1: yeah like the software the secret sauce software really really makes it i think
0: yeah it and it feels like uh you know in terms of the injection molding versus um three d printing question uh i I almost start to imagine it as a as a race um in which three d printing continues to to evolve and capture everyone's imagination, and all the other processes continue to improve and evolve as well so that the the breakpoint between them has has remained somewhat stable in the same way that uh you know, electric cars keep getting better and they capture everyone's imagination. But at the same time, conventional internal combustion engines have improved so much in the last few years that uh, conventional cars are expected to reach 50 miles per gallon on a routine basis, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometime in the next 10 years. So then then the, the, the break point keeps moving further out. It's a very innovative application of, of, uh, of software to a cool physical world problem. Mm-hmm. So before we wrap up, anything else uh, that, you, that you wanted to cover or, or add? No, I think this has been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting
1: me. We're really glad that you guys could come by. We had a good time working with you guys on the pop-up factory, and it's interesting to hear about the inner workings of this company that I've only seen from the other side. Also, you guys have the best test parts. I just want to say that all listeners should order a test part from Proto Labs because they have the best test parts. <laughs> They'll send you a part that like shows examples of all the ways that your like thing can fail and how to not do that, and it's a fun desk toy to have. Yeah, well,
2: so, okay, to that point, then I guess I will have another point, which is... Um, you know, making manufacturing approachable is really part of our vision and, and part of our mission, I mm-hmm. think. And uh, we do that through a number of ways. But but then there's also kind of an education mission around mm-hmm. that, right? Um, and the design for manufacturability and the quote is one part of it. And the other part of it is is those kinds of things, right? These tools that, that we give away, you know, to promote ourselves, but also uh, to, you know, to actually provide that kind of value so that people can start to understand. I mean- You know, we support today nine manufacturing processes. You know, in the future I'm sure we'll support more. Every one of them is um different, right? And and how you'd think about design for each of them varies. And so, you know, we talk about the economic argument for additive manufacturing versus uh subtractive manufacturing. But I I think that at some point, you know, it'll be more a conversation around what process is best suited for my design and my design constraints. Right. And so um, I think there is there is there is this education that has to happen uh, across across all these different manufacturing processes for people to really be able to use them effectively.
1: What do you think about like the this whole thing with people making machines that are combined additive and subtractive, where they like three yeah. D print stuff and right then, and then mill it away. Right. Well,
2: um, I, I think that's intriguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's intriguing. I think um, as of right now, they are um, they're still quite niche in terms of where the applicability uh is is really worthwhile yeah um but um i think it's intriguing and i think as they get you know as that technology improves and they get faster and um it becomes more cost effective to do that um i I think
0: that has some possibility Mm -hmm. well thank you rob this has been terrific it's a it's a delight to talk and this is a really exciting area with a lot of development going on yeah thank you very much it's been a pleasure
1: yeah i really appreciate it thanks for links and other information related to this week's episode, visit O'Reilly.com slash hardware and send your questions and comments to hardware at O'Reilly.com.
0: If you enjoyed the program, make sure you've subscribed on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting platform. And if you really enjoyed it, consider leaving us a review. Until next time, I'm David Craner And I'm John Bruner.